0: Go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 2. Uh, I am so excited to be in this passage with you all today. Um, it's funny because we did two weeks kind of a run-up to Lent, and we're in the middle of Lent right now. And it's interesting because the last two weeks, uh, and, well, last week and this week as we're back in Colossians, are very Lenten passages, which you'd think we had like strategized and planned out. Nope, just a Bob Ross happy accident over here. Um, so I'm gonna read Colossians two thirteen 13 uh, through 15 and um, yeah then we'll pray and then we'll dive in Colossians two thirteen, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him Lord, we thank you for this time, for this moment, for this place to gather as a family. I ask, Lord, that in my heart you would open up my heart to hear your truth today. Lord, may we glorify you more in our in our own attitudes and our own attentions today, tomorrow, this week because of the truths that your word teaches today we love you Jesus thank you for being with us amen okay so this is a nice light passage easy reading um, and uh, <laughs> I I'm gonna I'm just gonna dive in okay Are we ready and you who were dead it's great it's a great way to start you who are dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. Death is a, you yeah, such an incredibly difficult topic to think about, to talk about, to experience. Death has a level of finality to it that makes me and perhaps you very uncomfortable. Um, death is, there's such, it's happened to everybody, okay? Everyone who ever was, except for a couple people, okay, right, have, have died. You're going to die. I'm going to die. It seems like it's natural, but every time I come across it, I know it's the most unnatural thing in the world. and here it says you raise your hand if you think Paul's talking to you because he's talking to me you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh if you want to know what the uncircumcision of your flesh is you can ask rick just um he did a great job talking about it um circumcision questions straight to rick um You who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. I think sometimes, if you grew up in the church like I did, um, sometimes this death is hard to imagine. What is life like without Jesus? What is life like without the cross? The death, the hopelessness, the lifelessness that we experience without Jesus. And the more... Um, I make such a concerted effort to hang out with people that don't know Jesus. As a pastor, super easy to not hang out with <laughs> people who don't know Jesus. Because I go to work and everyone's a Christian. It's great. And then I, uh, I go home and everyone's a Christian there. Dang it. Um, and then I... Uh, <laughs> that's a joke. Please understand. Uh, you know, it, it, I, and then I meet with Christians and then my home group is Christians and my friends are Christians and it's just Christians everywhere, which is awesome. Uh, But if I don't make a concerted effort to hang out with people who don't know Jesus, it doesn't happen naturally in my flow of life. And I know that's a, that's a weird pastor's quirk. I know that's not the majority of people's experience of life. Um, The more I hang out with people who don't know Jesus, the more the death becomes vivid and apparent in my, in my eyes. And it hurts, it hurts. And it reminds me this is me without Jesus, dead in trespasses and uncircumcision of my flesh. And then he carries on God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. This is incredible. So we go from a place of death. And remember, death has like this finality to it, to now we're alive because God made us alive together with him. And this story of resurrection of taking what is dead and broken in the world and redeeming it, regenerating it and bringing about new life is the exact business that God is about in our universe. And that's what he's done in my heart. And that's what he's done in your heart. If you know and love Jesus is this regeneration this turning around from death itself to life itself, to light from darkness. And then the question kind of pops up in my mind is how, how do you take something that's dead and turn it alive? How do you do that? How does that even possible? How does that work? That doesn't happen. And then he thankfully continues. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Verse 14 is such a sobering verse for me. If I think about the record of debt that stands against me because of my trespasses and sins, this Greek word for the record of debt is literally an I O U for each sin in my life, a record being built up, every sin, every moment of covetousness, everything, every lust, every gossip, every moment stacking up against me, making legal demands of me, saying, hey, you deserve something here. This is the first verse I ever memorized in the Bible. And ironically, I memorized it in Albany. I guess that's not ironic. It's just true. Romans 6:23: "The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God in Christ Jesus is everlasting life. Each one of these sins is like a laborer at work. I am earning something for myself with this sin. I'm earning something powerful and permanent for myself with this sin. Do you know what I get paid for all this work? I get paid in death. It's what I get, it's what I've earned. If I work and I don't get paid, I march into my boss's office and say, "Hey, give me that money. I deserve it." Because of the work that I've done. And I look at the record of debt that stands towering against me with its legal demands. And I look at myself and I go, I deserve death. I don't deserve life because it's a big stack. Okay. And then. He says he's forgiven us our trespasses by canceling this record of debt. How can you just cancel this record of debt? Do you see this monstrosity of a pile of a record that's making legal claims against me? Daniel Golder. Do you see this God? How can you just cancel it? There's a demand. This debt must be paid. Kevin, if you owe me $5 one of us is going to eventually lose $5 in this transaction. Either I'm going to pay you back by losing my own $5, or you're just going to eat it. You're going to, yep, I, I'm not getting that $5 back. Daniel's a flake, right? The $5 is an outstanding debt that will be paid. It must be paid. Somehow, somewhere, that debt will be paid. And then it says, look what happened with the record of debt by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This entire record of every sin I have committed, the ones I've committed today and all the ones I will commit, were taken 2000 years ago and nailed to the cross. That's incredible. Because often in my head, when I think about my own sin, I can fall into an awful habit of picturing God standing over me, just yelling at me for sinning. And that's not how it works. This is, this is God. This is 2 Corinthians. Chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We don't have a God who stands far off in the skies casting lightning bolts down on us for screwing up. We have a God who, for our sake, took my sin. And just as sin entered the world through one man, so one man can take the sin of the world and pay the price that's demanded of me of death. That's incredible. This is such a universal truth of our existence. And so often I find myself slipping into like belief somehow that it's not true where I sin. And then that sin begins to define my day, my week, my month, my year. So here's what I want to do. Um, I want us to take a few minutes. Dave, would you come up and play some guitar for us? Um, I want us to take a few minutes. Write on your phone or write on a piece of paper, if you would, the record of sin against you. You'll run out of paper, I promise. Oh, yeah. Okay, Micah brought a binder. That's cheating. Oh, sorry we're just going to spend a few minutes reflecting on the record that has legal demands against us. And there's a part two, don't worry, but let's just step into this part one for now. Let's take this list and depending on how you've created it on your phone or on a piece of paper, I want you to delete the list somehow. If you drew it, if you wrote it on a sheet of paper, maybe draw a big old cross over it where you can't read the words anymore. Delete it, rip it up, throw it away. Um, Because as I read this list right here, if this was on my resume, I would never be hired anywhere for anything. Right? If this was the defining characteristic of who I am as a person, I would say I'm not worthy of love. I'm probably worthy of death, actually. In fact, I am. And this list was taken and 2,000 years ago was nailed to a cross so that we might become the righteousness of God. Amen? Okay. Let's take communion together. I feel like this is the time to do it. This is the body of Christ broken for you. Let's take it together. This is the blood of Jesus, poured out, spilled on the ground because of our sins. Let's take it together. Here's what I love about this passage. Often when I'm writing a sermon, what I try to do is take us on an arc, take us on a journey somewhere where we learn something new maybe, uh, we take what we know and we apply it to our lives and then it gets down to our hands and we live differently because of this whole arc, right? Here's the funny thing about this passage. I'm going to read it. Let's see if it asks you to do anything, okay? Here we go. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, have we been asked to do anything yet? Nope. God made alive together with him. Who made us alive? Okay. Having forgiven us all our trespasses, who did the forgiving? Okay. Have we been asked to do anything yet? Okay, let's keep going. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, who canceled it? Okay, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Who set it aside and nailed it to the cross? All right, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. Who did that? By triumphing over them in him. Who did it? Oh, let's go home. I mean, I don't know, like, (laughs) what do we do? Congratulations. (laughs) This is God. This, this is God. This is what God has done. I don't know about you, but sitting in this place, writing this list, shredding it up, it, it, it's putting fuel in my tank. I want to go do something now, right? You guys know, uh, I've got a friend of mine, his name's Mike. He was in the Marines for 20 years, 30 years. Um, and he always tells me about M1 Abrams tanks, okay? M1 Abrams tanks, when they are battle ready... They burn a lot of gas. Okay, if you've got a pl- do you have a platoon of tanks? Someone help me. I am way out of my depth here. You got a bunch of tanks. Okay, it's got a name. Okay, I'm just seeing if Glenn is judging me. He's not. Okay, thanks, Glenn. <laughs> um, and uh, you've got a bunch of tanks. Okay, and they're battle ready. They start burning fuel. Do you know how much fuel they burn per hour? Fifty gallons an hour. It's a lot of fuel okay, if they sit there ready to go and the commander doesn't send them anywhere, what happens? You run out of fuel. And the fuel's not being used for anything. When I read about the incredible magnitude of what God has done for me, my tank is being filled up with fuel. And I go, what do I do about it? (laughs) And these three verses aren't like a a how-to, step-by-step, you know, draw-the-picture thing, okay? But I think verse 15 gives us a clue. So let's look at verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities. Now, when Paul uses language like rulers and authorities— Often, what he's talking about is what he's talking about in Ephesians 6, 12, where he says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This passage is a spiritual warfare passage. That's what this passage is about. The work that God did— On the cross, for you and for me, is spiritual warfare. This is the cosmic language of the universe. The battle between good and evil, right and wrong. And our enemy has been put to shame by the triumph of the cross. Okay? Let's go to Ephesians 2. It's a few pages to the left. And some of this... Some of this language is going to be pretty familiar uh, to us. I'm going to start in verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. <laughs> oh, yeah, we know this. We just talked about this. In which, you, in which you once walked, according to the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the enemy. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You were fighting for the other team. You were dead and you were fighting for the other guys. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This is what we deserved. Death, wrath. This is, this is an incredible moment. But God. Yes! Oh, my goodness. This is like, this is like the two towers when uh, Gandalf comes over the hill. The battle is lost, and you see, look to the east or the west. Look in a direction, okay? And there he comes. He's over the hill. Okay? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not as a result of work so that no one may boast. Amen? Here's the thing about this passage. The memory verse often ends here in verse 9. But Paul keeps going. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I've talked about it before, you'll hear me say it a million times if you go here over the next two decades. Workmanship, this word is the Greek word poema. It's where we get the word poem from. It it is a master craftsman's word. That is who you are to God. A master, uh, something crafted by a, by a master craftsman has a value for two reasons. One, because of who made it. And two, because of the quality with which it was made. That is you. You are God's master crafted work created for good works. Now, remember, works don't save you. That's... You're, that's missing the boat. Just look look up two verses, okay? But you were created to be a part of a beautiful narrative, to go and do something good for God in this world. I don't wake up in the morning and think, boy, <laughs> what a master-crafted, yes... I wake up with the weight of my sin, the weight of other sin, approach the day, try and muddle through, and I've got this sneaking suspicion that's not the way we're supposed to live. That we've been set free from the claims of sin on you and me. And rather, we get to step into true life with our God because of all the work that he's done. So, I'm not going to tell you what to do with Colossians 2, 13 through 15. But I'm sensing a lot of gas in our tank right now. And the beautiful thing is, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you, speaking to you, guiding you. But I do have one ask of us this whole passage just makes me want to worship. Let's worship together and sing praises to the one who set us free. Amen? Let's do it.